0: Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began... Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains, the curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us Donald Devine. He is senior scholar at the Fund for American Studies, a prolific author, writer, intellectual, author of nine previous books. Uh, He was one of the intellectuals that identified with uh, a fusionist group of conservative and libertarian thinking and engaged in reevaluating that tradition. He was professor of government at University of Maryland and Belleville University. He is the author of a new book entitled The Enduring Tension, Capitalism and the Moral Order. Welcome, Dr. Devine. Thank you so much, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, you begin in the book with an obvious fact that a capitalist economic order has produced extraordinary prosperity and health and lifespan longevity, but that we have a not-so-understandable phenomenon that there is very little gratitude for the results over the decades Why aren't people more grateful for the extraordinary prosperity and abundance that we have?
1: Well, there's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, Mainly, (laughs) capitalism kind of means anything. There are so many ways of uh, defining it. That's what I try to do first in the book is to get and uh, define it. The, The book. is, you know, kind of simply a moral defense of Western civilization and its freedom, uh, capitalist freedom, uh, however you want to call it. And what I try to do is to look into how we got where we are today and why there's so much discontent in society. some people think that all you have to do is produce more wealth, and we've certainly done a good job on that. And that's what capitalism does: it increases wealth, and it almost doesn't matter to to a big degree in terms of producing the wealth whether it's China or uh, Italy or Israel or America. The more you use capitalism, the, the better off you are, uh, and And capitalism has produced this well, not just here, but anyone that's tried it uh, to some extent has been helped about it. Uh, But it doesn't produce satisfaction. (laughs) That's my. You need something else with it now. Clearly, uh, you know, uh, China, for example, adopted some capitalist ideas, and it, it increased. Well, they're dramatically, uh, but they're not doing too well uh, with that, because they don't have that kind of moral order. They have one based uh, on a defunct ideology and really based on force. The Western civilization is something different in the world, uh, and no matter what you look at, I just saw there's a new rating of how free the world is or isn't. Western Europe and North America, and to a lesser extent, South America. I mean, these are the countries that ha- have followed this general idea uh, of capitalism, but have also had a moral order to back it up. And I think we're at a, a very critical stage right now. We're at the end of an era. I think uh, we tried to fix uh, the American system based on its Western civilization values. Uh, and I, I think it's it, it's time to step back from politics and all the disorder in society and do something radical. That is, think. <laughs> to think about how we got where we are and how we need to think about getting at it to stop slogans, to, to stop uh, start thinking. And you've read the book, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a a deep book. It's philosophical, historical. Uh, but I I think that we have to see what we did. We started off with a strong influence of Western civilization as America was uh, founded. Uh, we kept getting better. It takes time. Nothing's perfect. We finally broke away from uh, Europe, our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, and and uh, we had our faults. We had slavery. We had a lot of other things that weren't great, but clearly we had more freedom than anybody else in the world. We began getting uh, more economically developed in Europe in a very short time. Uh, and it went along, and I think, Getting better, again, not perfect, until really the uh, late 19th, early 20th century, where uh, America's intellectuals thought that our system didn't work. Uh, a guy named Woodrow Wilson who was president of the United States, but we tend to forget he was also president of Princeton University. is uh, an enormously influential... Uh, uh intellectual he went to europe to uh his uh, phd uh, and he uh, looked around he went to prussia and he says hey prussia is the future prussia brings all power together it's not divided like congress the 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 the, the king and the chancellor dominate the legislature uh They centralize all power, and look what they have, a welfare state. They take care of people. They educate the highest uh, educational institutions in the world. They take care of their poor. They educate uh, uh, the middle class. Uh, We don't do anything like that over there. Uh, So he comes back and says the problem with America is that America divides power rather than centralizes it. And that to correct America, we have to take power away from Congress. And he wrote a book on Congress I had to read when I was in graduate school. That's how influential it was. Uh, We have to weaken Congress, strengthen the presidency, rely on scientific methods with the top elite in society, the experts that rule society, and he began the great institutions uh, that that changed America. The Federal Reserve System started under him. The income tax started under him. The regulatory uh, uh, society, and he did this with a pretty conservative Congress. Uh, it wasn't really put into overdrive uh, until uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt... Now, we've been operating on that now for about 100 years, this idea. Uh, We just celebrate this year the Budget and Accounting Act of 1921, uh, which set forth how experts were going to rule the executive branch and not worry too much about Congress.
0: You, you, You know, that's interesting. Prussia had a very advanced administrative state, correct? absolutely yes and and wilson saw that he he saw the administrators very efficient prussian bureaucracy very strong sense of civic virtue in in civil servants uh, as i understand it so that that was a big influence upon him when he came back to the states
1: yes it definitely was uh, <laughs> and it's not just him it changed america yeah this idea of centralized government was not what we're about. I mean, going back to Europe and the people that taught us, we have the Magna Carta, we have the Constitution. These things divide power. And, and Wilson was right uh, in a sense uh, that if you divide power, you're not going to be able to push things around as effectively. Uh, so it, this whole idea now, though, I think has met its match. Um uh, I'm a very conservative guy, as you might have guessed from, the, from my book. But I'm going to quote not me, although I have a lot of expertise in the bureaucracy. Uh, uh, as you uh, probably know from looking at my background, I was well, the head of the Office of Personnel Management uh, in Ronald Reagan's first term, and uh, that's the chief bureaucratic job in the government. That's Example of a professor learning about the bureaucracy the hard way for four years. And it was clear to me it just doesn't work. But don't take my uh, word for it. The top public administration person in the country done all kinds of studies for Brookings institutions, even for Congress. Uh, professor Paul Light uh, is his name, uh, He has done studies uh, that show clearly, and a whole bunch of them, uh, the final one uh, uh, when my book was published was uh, for Brookings Institution, again, not a conservative organization. He said the bureaucracy now is so tangled, so many levels, so many cuts, we cannot, quote, not faithfully execute the law. Now, that's what the Constitution says we're supposed to be doing in the executive branches to faithfully execute the law. There are so many levels. He said there are 70 levels from the person at the top, the secretary of the major departments, and and where the rubber hits the road with real people. 70 levels and no way to communicate effectively between those 70 levels. Uh,
0: well, we saw that in in, in certainly Donald Trump's He didn't get very far in combating the administrative state, did he?
1: No, he didn't. Uh, Actually, I went and gave them some advice, but they didn't really put a person in charge of personnel uh, in the White House uh, until eight or nine months beforehand. Uh, It's just a terrible situation where they didn't. Really have the right people to do what needed to be done, and so it was too late.
0: <laughs> well, you, you know uh, about your experience. You, you have an interesting little anecdote in the book when you attended a meeting in Salzburg in 1996. It was a meeting on nation states, and you know the Cold War had ended uh, a few years before. And you actually addressed the the assembled gathering when you actually talked about conservatism as quote decentralizing power among pluralist local institutions. And that's an old definition of, I mean, an old element of of conservatism, right? Going back, you know, against centralized power. How did the European and other attendees react to that (laughs) understanding of conservatism?
1: Well, they thought I was crazy. (laughs) Because, of course, we learned decentralization from Europe unfortunately, Europe caught the bug that the whole rest of the world, you know, it wasn't just the Roman Empire, it was China, India, Africa, every place. But the only place they learned this lesson about decentralization was in Europe. But unfortunately, in Europe, we started deciding uh they decided decentralization the was the way to go, uh, and all of the countries in Europe, went into this divine right of kings. Now, Christianity was saying uh, there's Caesar and there's God and there's two different things. Uh, the divine right of kings uh, said, well, no, the king is the representative of God. And that this divine right idea took over all of Europe. It took, went to England last. Uh, fortunately for us, a bunch of people got on boats and came over here and they still had kind of the Magna Carta in their their pocket, and they kept this decentralized idea over, brought it over here, and and that's it, it died out even in England, less so than others. But uh, even in England, we were the only ones keeping this idea alive. So when I'm talking to this group, mostly Europeans, although there were Chinese, uh, uh, Indians, there were. People from all over the world, but uh, I would expect that somebody from China wouldn't understand this. But Europe thought it was crazy uh, when I said that there's stirrings of decentralization in in Great Britain between England and and Scotland, uh, primarily, but also Wales. The, the English representative there kind of said, "This guy's out of his mind. That could never happen." Uh, in England. Well, of course, a couple of years later... Don,
0: Don could could you send him an email reminder about that?
1: <laughs> I don't remember who it was, actually. Uh, it was a long time ago. Uh, but anyway, I would love to do that. But uh, the interesting thing is, you know, I think we're meeting that same situation here in Europe, here in America now. We have President Biden going in there. He's going to have both houses of Congress with the Majority, uh, he'll he'll be able to name new judges, and the judiciary will will change. And, And he's got this enormous program. We've never seen anything like the program that he's come up with. And and he's going to try to make it work. Well, I got some real terrible news for him. The bureaucracy can't do it, even if the laws could work in some perfect situation. And I'm going to fearlessly predict that you will probably have the economy go along for about a year or so. uh, But it's going to break. The Federal Reserve, as you may have noticed in the book, it doesn't work anymore. It's borrowed so much money it has no flexibility to move up and down anymore. Uh, That's the first institution of this administrative state and I'm afraid it isn't going to work. And what people who don't like what is going on there, all this centralization, trying to throw money we don't have at everything, uh, I think this is a great time to sit back and read a good book like The Enduring Tension. and And start thinking about, even if you don't agree with me, uh, there's there's so much uh, historical information, sound data. It's time we can go back and learn. uh, You know, we came from Athens and Jerusalem, uh, those two great strains of of tradition uh, and freedom. uh, And we... bounced into uh, Caesar and Constantine, uh, and somehow we broke out of that and came to Magna Carta. And there were versions of Magna Carta in Germany uh, uh, and other places in Europe, too. Uh, then they, we came over here. We created, the, like, far the best thing that was uh, in the world. And I think this is the time now we need to kind of look back and start putting it together. We don't have to have all the ways to screw it and just a couple of ideas, federalism, localism, privatism uh, and a moral order to undermine uh, the whole system. That's secret to success.
0: One thing you mentioned you have one section entitled The Expert Bureaucracy Solution. What is that?
1: Well, I mean that's withdrawal solution uh, to solve all of our problems, uh, to get experts in there and centralize the power that they have over the rest of the country. Uh, we have that now. And as that chapter tries to show, uh, it doesn't work. I go through every major function of government and, and refer to many other studies. Uh,
0: it doesn't work. Well, you, you bring up the example of one expert in the bureaucracy that maybe people have forgotten. I haven't forgotten this because I watched her testify before Congress. Lois Lerner. What does the example, who was Lois Lerner and what does her example show?
1: Lois uh, Lerner was top executive in the uh, Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, and her job was to decide whether uh, groups uh, got a non-profit uh, rating so that, that they could uh, raise money without uh, paying taxes on uh, charitable organizations. And what she did is, and it's clear, even though they're clearer uh, of any break in law, uh, the guy who did the investigation uh, was not of the conservative persuasion uh said that uh, she clearly uh, made her decisions biased uh, against conservatives and tried to hold up them so that they w- could not influence uh, the election where uh, they should have, they have the, uh, the right to receive these uh, tax deductions that everybody else does on the left and right. But she didn't like that idea. She was given a bonus for how good she was. Unfortunately, it's just one example of many, many throughout the government.
0: I watched her testifying, and my my, uh, what I saw in her words, her, her her subtext was, looking out at all of us and saying, "You're little people." <laughs> That's an interesting way to look at it. I I, I mean the, the the unaccountability and and, you know, to to sit there and take the fifth uh, about things. Um, if the expert bureaucrats are so helpful to the rest of society, then why are they so loathed by so many people?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the bottom line. That's how we know that this doesn't work. And by the way, it's not just the uh, right. It's not just conservative. No, no. It's uh, the it's whole country. And I guarantee you, 12 months from now, the people who are gonna be most opposed to it, uh or most upset are gonna be liberal progressives. Because it isn't gonna work. They're gonna pass all these wonderful bills and and they're not gonna change anything. Maybe it's gonna take four years to figure all this out, but but we are nearing the end of this experiment we had. I mean, you you see Now everybody might say it's Trump, but the fact is we had to, everybody knew we had to decentralize dealing with this COVID uh, thing. Putting one rule up for every state and every local uh, from a farm to to downtown Manhattan, that's insane. It just doesn't, doesn't make sense decentralization is so much more efficient than centralization. Uh, And I think, who knows, maybe even Biden might end up figuring that out.
0: Well, let let me mention one thing that gets to the bigger picture here. You you mentioned at the beginning Joseph Schumpeter, who believed that capitalism actually would collapse because of its own success. Now, you've talked about the success here, and you seem to think this is a this is an idea worth considering worth looking at the idea that capitalism is going to advance more people are going to be prosperous and healthy. Why would this cause problems with capitalism?
1: Well, because freedom is a dangerous thing, and that's why most societies in the world rule by power alone uh, it's only Western civilization that looked back to a, a god that, imagine this, this god of Western civilization gave people the ability to disobey him. They gave him the freedom to be bad. I mean, that's an incredible idea, uh, and that's why so few places in the world buy this idea of freedom. But that shows that the whole source of this idea of a free society of capitalism all, it all depends on this idea of a rational creator or a rational loving creator that thought so much about humanity that it allowed him to them to disobey him and we have to realize that we can only solve all of these problems if we Get to the the insights uh, uh, of that civilization, of that culture, of that religion, if you will, uh, uh, and that's what made us great. That's what made Europe different. That's what made America so different. And we got to go back and understand. Just read the Declaration of Independence. It all depends upon a Creator giving us this.
0: And and you you believe that as your subtitle says, we have capitalism and the moral order. Now, when you say it's an enduring tension, you you mean that those aren't fully reconcilable. But if we lose the moral order, if the moral order succumbs too much to certain individual freedoms, then capitalism itself is in trouble too. We need to have some moral order that that will bring tensions into our lives, but with the freedom that we exert, but without that moral order, we're in trouble.
1: Precisely. And th- that is how we recovered from the worst excesses of the great society when Ronald Reagan came in. Ronald Reagan, contrary to what many think, was a great reader and a great studier. And he read The great Frederick Hayek, who wrote this book, The End of World War II, called The Road to Serfdom, uh, and showing why we've got so much power centralized uh, uh, and freedom uh, taken away by the overgrowth of socialism and government. uh, And he read that, and and some intellectuals, uh, William Buckley, who started National Review, uh, and other people read this and say, hey, that's a great idea, and Reagan got in. And he did a lot of that, not all, but he did a lot of it, and we had a generation and a half of prosperity and I would say better public order more people volunteering, doing things like that
0: okay so 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 Don, you talk about those those gains, those advantages, but when you get to quote the public face of capitalism, you acknowledge that that public face is often. Greedy, uh, Scrooge-like, uh, rapacious capitalism. Why does that public face dominate in in civic discussions?
1: Well, because unfortunately, uh, the people who rule are clever. All right, <laughs> they they want to have people do the right thing the way they think it is. And we all think we know everything perfectly. Uh, 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 and they figure, just give me power, and I'm going to fix everything up. I mean, Woodrow Wilson was not a bad guy. I mean, I mean, he was—he he tried to fix things up. Franklin Roosevelt tried to fix things up. But the problem is, it doesn't work that freedom is something that the creator gave us and it has its negative sides and, and elites will always have more power than the average person. Uh, so this is a constant challenge. It's never going to be solved perfectly uh, until, not that I can figure out anyway.
0: <laughs> the, the book is The Enduring Tension, Capitalism and the Moral Order. It's out with Encounter Books. Donald Devine, thank you for joining us.
1: Oh, Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun to make me think about it too, Mark. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> and thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.